welcome back to One Conversation, where one conversation can change a life. My name is JC Macias, and here with me are my two lovely co-hosts, Brianna Vallejo and Lisa Piazza. So for those who don't know, January is Human Trafficking Awareness Month, and we actually have an amazing, great speaker here today who will be helping us cover today's topic, what is sex trafficking? We would like to provide you with a content warning. Some of the information we will be discussing today may be explicit or triggering. So if you are listening in, make sure you practice some meditation with us towards the end of our episode. Yeah, so we are really excited to have our guest here in the room with us today. This is going to be a really fantastic episode. You know, we we always say when we're doing educational episodes, we want to provide, you know, as much education to the community as we can, right? We want our community members, our fellow neighbors um, to be kind of primed with this information. And this topic, uh, sex trafficking, it's so extremely important. It's something that you know, we, we really need to bring it to light, right? As kind of uh, awful of a topic as it may seem, it's so important that we discuss it, that we can recognize it and kind of learn how to support others, right? Or um, maybe seek help if that's needed. So we're really excited as, you know, intense as this episode may be getting today. You know, we always, with our guests, we always have fun questions ready and that's how we're gonna start off today. So let me go ahead and introduce we have melissa holland here today she is the director and founder of awaken and of course um, she'll explain a little bit about what awaken does um, and some of the incredible programs that their agency provides before we get serious melissa you know uh, this is your first time here with us yeah. we as much as you know we were providing content and education on really intense topics right talking about some really uh, difficult subject matter again we like to have fun and so we have a few fun questions to start but we have this is kind of our every guest question that we ask and so we're going to start off with our one conversation question that is if you could have lunch with anyone throughout time, fictional, non-fictional, past, present, who would it be and why? You know, I had an answer and then I heard you say fiction or non-fictional and I think I might've just switched it. I, I was originally gonna have <laughs> you know, probably more of even a serious answer than what's necessary. Um, but I think I'm gonna go with Sam from Lord of the Rings. Oh, wow. I think That's a good one. Okay. I think Sam is underestimated by so many people and I just absolutely love his character. I think in particular anybody doing the work we do should look at the life of Sam and how he supported Frodo in his mission to sort of, you know, accomplish this opportunity to to fight his own battles and to, you know, rid the world of evil in in this form of the ring. Um and Sam was just the best champion to see somebody go through their own obstacles and to not get in the way of the person having to go through it. So I actually, once you said that, I was like changing it up. And then I kind of thought Gandalf, Frodo, no, I'm going with Sam. <laughs> I love that that was off the cuff for you too. Because yeah. I'm like, wow, like what an incredible answer. And I love that you circle it all back, right? To like kind of the work that we all do and that representation, right? Of just that constant unbridled support, right? Yeah. Love that answer. Always what looking for inspiration. Start. Always looking for inspiration. And I was not expecting love that. that, so love it. Yeah. No. I wasn't either, to be honest answer. with you, until I heard the nonfiction. <laughs> Wild card answer. We love it. We love it. Yeah. It's crazy what our minds will do, what they'll just remind us of. Yep. One word will put a whole different direction, wouldn't it? <laughs> exactly. 
Our next fun question for you. If you could have one superpower, what would it be and why? Yeah, I'm hoping this works too. The What I would do is, so teleport is the easy answer for me, but I'm hoping in my teleportation, I can also breathe without breathing because I'd actually love to teleport to visit other planets and see what's going on out there. So I don't know if that works or not. Otherwise, I'm going to be stuck to our oxygen breathing planets in my tele, which is great. But especially in the year of travel restrictions, I really want to be able to teleport. Absolutely. Especially to space. Yeah, I love, yeah. again, that consideration, I think, is just kind of beyond the wild card aspect right. of these answers. I'm, just, yeah. I'm loving every second of this right yeah. now. Love it. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Melissa, for giving us those laughs and sharing. God, your answers were amazing. I, I don't want to be ever put on the spot in regards to my superpower because there's so many, the longest list. So <laughs> the, definitely the list is long. So let's go ahead and get started on our next question for you, Melissa. And, you know, we would really like to get to know your agency, Awaken. So can you give us a little overview in regards to what Awaken does? Yeah, so in short, we offer services um, and support to women and children that have been involved in the commercial sex trade. Um, we've got housing, a drop-in center, an education center, case management, counseling, tons of groups, tons of fun. Um, like you guys, I think just the recognition and the priority of fun is very important, uh, especially in the work of trauma and abuse. And so uh, we try to incorporate a lot of that in what we do, um, physical activities, uh, rock climbing, all kinds of that stuff. But but in short, we offer direct services to, to women and children that have been affected by whether it be sex trafficking or any area of the commercial sex trade. They don't have to identify as a, a victim of anything to, to receive services that awaken. They just under that umbrella essentially is really all that is required for for any kind of partnership or work with awaken um and then you know we also do prevention work and uh trainings and awareness and uh we have we have three pillars it's it's restoration so all the direct service provision uh prevention try to work ourselves out of a job ultimately we want to see this thing eradicated completely uh and then city transformation and it's that third pillar that allows us to try to actually change the culture around this entire issue. So those are the those are the things that we sort of can reduce down to. Yeah, thank you so much, Melissa, for everything that you do. Um, we are so grateful to have an organization like yours available. And just for those who are asking, what is sex trafficking, right? Um, just to let you know, sex trafficking falls under the umbrella of human trafficking. So let's just start off with talking about what human trafficking is. And human trafficking is modern day slavery. So trafficking is a practice of exploiting adults and children for the use as commodities in conditions of sexual and labor servitude. Um, human trafficking is determined based on action, means, and purpose. And action can include anything from recruitment, harboring, transporting, providing, or obtaining an individual for the purpose of labor or sexual exploitation. And then when we talk about means, it refers to the use of force, fraud, or coercion to establish and maintain control of the victim. And then when we highlight purpose, it really refers to the intent to use the to use and exploit the victim for labor or sex. And so, like I mentioned, sex trafficking falls under that umbrella. Um, sex trafficking is when a commercial sex act is induced by forced fraud or coercion, or in which a person is performing the act, um, you know, that is under the age of 18 
And, you know, trafficking victims may be minors up to 18 years old or adult 18 years or older. So any child or any minor, minor under the age of 18 engaged in commercial sex acts are victims of sex trafficking. Um, and I just really want to highlight that. So even if there are there is no evidence of force, fraud or coercion, minor victims of sex trafficking um, may be also referred to as CSEC. So that means commercially sexually exploited children. And again, I just want to highlight that there is no such thing as a child prostitute. Minors engaged in commercial sex are victims of sex trafficking and child abuse. Um, and it's really important to, you know, kind of make that effort to minimize their experience and really shift the responsibility, um, you know, to the child is wrong and just not okay. So with that being said, you know, this is such an important topic and we are just so thankful that you are here listening in and really just, you know, making yourself um, knowledgeable around human trafficking and sex trafficking. Yeah, because really, I mean, there's a lot of misconceptions about trafficking. And I know even personally before coming into this field, I, I did not understand the severity of this issue. I did not understand the prevalence of this issue here in the US, right? A lot of this stuff is kind of either swept under the rug or maybe we're seeing media representations or we're hearing news stories about other places in the world, right? And we, we think that's not happening here. And so, you know, just there's, there's all these kind of external resources giving us a lot of misconceptions about sex trafficking and what it is. And so we would love to hear from you, Melissa. I mean, being so boots on the ground in this field, what are some of the, the common misconceptions on trafficking that you hear or see often? Yeah, it's, I appreciate it first, JC, just you talking about the, with the, the children as well, and just the importance of recognizing um, there's no choice in that for kids. Their, their choice it just doesn't exist. And um, I think one of the misconceptions that, that I've first seen is that choice then suddenly enters in when they turn 18. And so being mindful of, you know, one of the things that I, I learned, I first started studying this issue in around 2009. And one of the first things that I learned that actually compelled me to get more involved was that 80 to 90% of adults in prostitution actually first started out with their abuse and neglect or trafficking as a child. And, and I've just seen as our society uh, shift the, the mindset once they turn 18 and they're adults that magically they're now choosing this. And so I think the, the consideration of the whole person is really important before we put these labels of um, what choice is. And I think, you know, for us, one of the things we've seen is if, if it was choice, it would be very easy. We, we wouldn't have to exist to the extent that we do. We would be able to have a, have a, a client walk in and say, Hey, I want out of this industry. And we say, great, here's an apartment and here's a job. We'll see you later. And it doesn't work that way. That that's what choice would look like. Right. If it really was this free right. choice, it would be correct. Cool. I don't want to do this. So I'm going to do that now because I have another option. But it just isn't. And so the trauma involved in the sex trade is so complex and the identity that the degradation of the person being a commodification for the pleasures of however many men a day they're encountering, you know, the, the desensitization of self, the, the loss of self to, to be the satisfaction of another person's fantasy. Um, it takes a ton of time to heal and for choice to be realized to the, to the individual that's trying to get out of it. So, so choice is one of the, the main things that we see as a misconception um, around the, the whole commercial sex trade. Uh, one of the first misconceptions I had actually when 
I was entering into this was it doesn't happen here. Um, and I think we still see a little bit of that now. It's not as much, but we still see it. I originally lived in, so not originally, but before I moved to Reno, I was lived, I lived in China for four years. And, and then I moved to Reno and I finished my, I came here to do graduate work and I finished my degree in marriage family therapy. So I have a clinical background. And when I was realizing, hey, I think this might be the thing I'm gonna enter into, my draw was always to go back overseas. And I actually planned on, I did not plan on staying in America at all. And I thought this will be the population I'm gonna work with. I'm, I'm feeling really compelled to, to look more into this. Uh, and the more I looked, the closer to home it kept getting. And I did not expect that. I did not expect to then realize, actually I can in my own community be a part of this and, and try to develop something, um, which is sort of the beginning of how Awaken came into fruition is, uh, I couldn't find anything around to get involved. I couldn't find anybody offer services. The only thing I found in, in my state was a way for when they turn 18 for them to then legally continue that exploitation through, the, through a brothel. And I thought that can't be the only thing available. That's insane. And it was, it was the only thing we had. And I thought this is not okay. Mm -hmm. Women and children deserve so much more. And so trying to find ways to get involved and then quickly got involved actually. Um, I was gonna move to 4th Street as I'm looking out because I'm, I now work on 4th Street. I was planning to move here because I didn't know what the needs were of this population. I didn't know what would help them. Um, and I figured they do. So, so let me kind of live amongst them and find out. And I ended up not having to. The, the time that I actually sort of put the stake in the ground said, I'm gonna go move on 4th Street and figure this out and learn from them was the exact time I got an introduction to somebody. It was the same day. I got an introduction to somebody who connected me to a judge. And a week later, I am sitting with this judge and I am now the counselor for his diversion group for women who got picked up for solicitation. It was that fast. So that was in 2010. So for the last 10 years, I have probably on a regular basis learned about my own misconceptions as well as those of our community. And so I think each year, um, I continue to, to learn more and more. I'll tell you one of the most profound ones I had recently. I went on a, uh, a, a trip with, it was an international research trip of women that went to Germany to interview men who buy sex in a country where it's illegal. And I thought this will be fascinating because I'm in a state where it's legal. So I wanna, I wanna hear from the buyers of this thing and, and see what they're thinking, see what their minds are. And they were doing, um, you know, long, long two to three hour interviews with each person. And by the time I had left, I think we'd interviewed over 73 men at that time. Wow. Um, the project is, is to get it, I think over a hundred. I think they're there, we're just collecting, they're compiling the data and stuff. But um, so that hasn't been released, but I can share with you my experience from it and some of the things that I learned that I had misconceptions about as well. And, uh, it really is this this idea and concept around does legalization help or harm and, and and i've already had you know the experiences from the women we work with and the data from our state to show the harms but i had never heard from the men to see what their mindset is like and what does it do for men also um and so just to back up on on some of that to give context some of the data that i'm referring to so nevada is number one in the nation for the sex trade and it's an illegal sex trade that we are number one in. And so uh, per capita, we are 63% higher than the next highest state. So we are significantly higher in our rates. Yeah. So 
we're also on all the lists you don't want to be on and rank in the places you don't want to rank in when it comes to violence against women, the rates of women to be murdered by men, um, physical violence for women, uh, we're top 10 for youth to be trafficked in the nation. So, so we're, we're, we've got now 50 years of data of having a legal sex trade. And I can tell you it has done nothing to bring safety for women and children in our community. Our own community with, with Reno Sparks, um, we've had children in every single high school as a client here. There, there, there's no one, like kids and women are not safe when you have a legal sex trade because you've done nothing to actually eliminate a sex trade. You've only actually promoted the commodification of women's bodies to be used for sex. And so after 50 oh years God. of doing this, we have generations that are raised in the normalization of this. So, so this contrast of, okay, so what is it like to then go to a country and talk to the men who have, have also had the same thing? They, they've been raised in a country that this is promoted. You are quite welcome to go purchase women for your fantasy purposes, right? And so listening to them, I, I realized that it really is so much about fantasy. They are walking into an atmosphere where the entire setting is there for them to have their pleasures, right? the the name of the person they're purchasing for the for the function of sex uh, or whatever they want to do to that person the whole setting is just to satisfy that fantasy and so that fantasy is really key and so if you look at normal male men and women dating behavior or just dating behavior regardless um there's no fear of rejection there's no fear of well like there's no need to be nervous like that is not helpful for men learning how to date that is not helpful for men learning how to approach women like you still right. want a little bit of that awkwardness because that type of boldness gives them a confidence that says i can do whatever i want to her now the brain doesn't distinguish fantasy from reality and we, there's plenty of research from virtual reality so you know to, to make this in simple terms mm -hmm. i remember going to see the the movie i think it was meg the the large shark the megalodon yeah. shark do you guys remember that yeah it's like this crazy movie it's like jaw, jaws on steroids yeah. so i go into this movie mm -hmm. and i get out and it's dark out and I'm, it's a movie but my brain is experiencing all the emotions right and the excitement and and this escalated state of being and and i get out and it's like this um this dirt part outside of the movie theater and it's gated and i'm like picturing things flying out at me just to shock me <laughs> i'm moving myself to my other side of the friend so that they get caught up first like it was ridiculous but the brain does the not do yeah i mean it's absolutely I'm in the desert there is no jaws here but the brain genuinely doesn't know it doesn't distinguish the difference between fantasy and reality and so when a when in particular, repeat buyers. So, so anything that is there to make money, you're looking for repeat buyers. That's why Apple releases a new phone every year. You want repeat buyers. It's a successful business model. It's no different with the sex trade. You want repeat buyers. You want that habit to continue because then that is an increase in, in money, unfortunately. And that's what this is reduced down to for, for the traffickers and so the, or the brothel owners even. So when a man does this again and, and again and again, his brain is teaching him, this is what women like. This is how women are. This is how you get to behave with women, which explains to me why, why it also increased these rates of violence, why it has these unfortunate side effects in a community and it, it brings harm to the community. It does not help men at all 
in real life. And unfortunately, this is the real life of the person on the other side of the fantasy. And that's not considered. So, so you've got this fantasy scenario that they have no need to consider the person on the other side of the transaction and what is their reality. They are not interested if this person is trafficked. They're not interested in the word choice. They're not interested in the age of the person. We work with, uh, sadly, more minors than I ever wish we did that have been trafficked in our community. And I've asked quite a few of them, have they ever asked you your age? The vast majority say no. They've never asked me my age. The ones that have said yes, they said it's only because he was turned on to find out I was young. This is not at all about how to help the person that's being purchased for his fantasy. And so that fantasy component is one thing, the, the misunderstanding of really how do we look at this? Because I think sometimes we unfortunately try to paint it pretty and, and try to, to kind of clean it up. And it's just yeah. not, it's abusive and it's de degrading mm -hmm. to these women. And the things that are in the fantasy, especially of a repeat buyer that are going further and further down that spectrum of sexual deviancy because the novelty seeking is so important to the, the dopamine and the serotonin, like all the brain stuff that's in, engaged in this. And so they, they continue to go further and further down that harder and harder to satisfy. And then they have the money piece that gives them permission to do more and more and more to satisfy that fantasy. And that is devastating. Now, the other misconception, and this is the one that I really struggled with, because I used to hear survivors, um, especially ones that have had uh, a significant amount of healing that are trying to talk about the harms of illegal sex trade. Uh, they would say something like, prostitution is paid rape. And as a standalone statement, I did not understand that. I understood it because I understood the, the harm that they had experienced, but I just didn't understand it as a standalone statement until I went on this trip. And I realized these buyers, when they were asked something like, do you think she wants to be there? They were like, no, she doesn't want to be there. They know it. The buyers know this, but they don't care. And they're paying to not care. Because if you have one, the legitimacy of legalizing this, Two, the, the whole experience is around fantasy. And then three, that money piece, you get to make it as common as going to a restaurant and not worried about if your waitress likes their job or not. Because it becomes framed, it's a job like any other. So when it's framed as a job like any other, then you actually have to consider it a job like any other, which means I, have, I go into a restaurant, I'm gonna go out to eat later today, and I'm not actually, I, I will acknowledge this, I'm probably not gonna think, I wonder if this person is forced to be here. I wonder if this person likes being here. I wonder what this person's going to do with their paycheck. I'm not considering that because it's completely normalized as a job like any other. And so those aren't the things we think about when we're in a transactional situation in employment and, and you're the customer. And so that is what it ends up doing. And so when you know that person doesn't want to be there, but you're legitimized to still do what you're doing because of the law, if we bring it back to this is a sexual encounter, if a man wants to sleep with a woman who doesn't want to sleep with him, what do we call that? Yeah. So it, it starts as sexual harassment. And then when he actually goes through with it, it's, it's, it's assault. It is rape. The thing that has confused everyone is what happens when he leaves money. Is the money or the sex what she wanted? The, she didn't want the sex. She wants the money. She needs the money. And so the money confuses everybody. And so in my opinion, after being in this for 10 years and listening to survivors and now listening to buyers, 
the money is the thing that actually rebrands the whole experience and what is usually called choice and consent what it what is normally in a, in a normal interaction without money so so this would should be sexual assault rape and a violation that is bringing harm to an individual because the fantasy is not her reality that's the rebrand it gets to be called consent and choice and so they've totally shifted the whole thing because of that money piece that money is the coercive piece in the transaction and the law then actually aligns with the fantasy of the buyer not the reality of the survivor because the law poses no harm and no risk to the buyer wow i think just putting that all in that context in that way right i think really kind of breaking that down really examining you know the fact that there is money involved and suddenly you know this may imply consent right or be confusing it confuses and, everyone yeah and it's really it's so interesting right but it's I, and i love again that we're taking time and you're doing like such an eloquent and wonderful job really discussing this because i think i think this is what it takes right i think it is you know kind of like what you said right what i kind of shared before getting into this field you know there were there was a lot of misconceptions on our parts mm -hmm. right and i think that misconception leads to that normalcy leads to that you know entitlement because i have this money and so what this is the culture we grew up in this is what you know as a maybe as a guy i'm supposed to do or what's totally normal right and so it really takes this education it takes people hearing things so disheartening like children at every high school mm -hmm. you work around i mean that's that's really the gravity of that is so so heavy if you really take a moment with mm -hmm. that right and so I mean, just to kind of like move into that, we know there's a lot of other really, really shocking statistics, right? That kind of surround this. Um, I know Bree is gonna go ahead. She has some specific trafficking statistics to kind of share as well. Cause again, this is the important part, right? We have to put, we have to kind of get rid of that misinformation. We have to bring you the accurate numbers and the accurate reality, right? Like she said, yeah. not kind of the slammed up or cleaned up. We have to bring you the accurate reality. And so, Brie, if you would not mind sharing some of those stats with us. Yeah, so what we have is that human trafficking is a multi-billion dollar criminal industry that steals freedom from 24.9 million people around the world. You know, we say around the world, but obviously we know that it's happening here. And like Melissa was talking about, she was expecting to go do this work in another place, but she found the work here, you know, it's not just around, I mean, it is all the way around the world, but uh, including here. Uh, human trafficking generates annually over $150 billion in illegal profits. And the average age of a teen that is sex trafficked is 12 to 14 years old. So Melissa, I'll share with you, I, I'm pregnant with a baby girl right now. And so I think I'm being a little bit more impacted by all of this today just because you know knowing of bringing a baby girl into the world and oh my gosh just thinking about everything that and you know we we know that boys can be victims as well but just thinking about the the stereotypical victim as a girl and how young that is and to think about you know other parents of those children and yeah i just Thank you so much for sharing all that you've shared. I'm definitely, I've been through trainings on human trafficking, sex trafficking before, and I'm learning so much from you already. And we're one serious question into this. <laughs> uh, 
So thank you so much. Yeah, just to encourage you, I, you know, just as you shared that I had this like overwhelming encouragement actually for your girl. Um, if you don't mind, I'd love to just say it. So I, I feel like your daughter's gonna come into the world better than when we came into it. And I know that's counter logic, but in, in regard to this, I feel like- Don't start, Bri. Yeah, <laughs> I, I feel start. like the hope survivors give me is phenomenal. Like their impact in our world is beyond anything I've ever seen. Their ability to, to transform a life of victimization into a life of freedom and to stop a generation, their generations from it continuing. And I see that more now than I've ever seen it. When we first started doing this work, you know, the, the, was it was at 24 million. Is that the, that was the global number, right? Yeah. 24.9. Yeah, yep. So mm -hmm. 10 years ago, it was 27 million. And so we're seeing, right. So we're seeing numbers okay. change. We're seeing, and in our own community, I used to, I used to declare, like, I have faith for every 27 million, every single one of them I have faith for that they will have a life of freedom. And then, you know, behind the scenes, I'm going, can we just see one? I just need one when we first started, you know, because we didn't have anything available. We have so much available now that we see so many now and the life is changing and the world is getting better. And I know that's hard to believe with the noise of the world right now, but I believe that sure. is also for your daughter's entry into here that she will then continue to advance it. And it'll be set up better for her than it was for us when we came into it. I hope that's okay. I love that's, that. It literally came on me when you started talking about that. <laughs> no, thank you so much. I was like, Brie, if you start crying, I'm going to start crying. I was like, I was getting teary. Just getting teary. I'm like, don't let this waterfall. Yeah, don't start the waterfall of this right now. We can't all go down. Um, but no. You can't trust the hormones right now. <laughs> but no, that was beautiful. That was, that was absolutely beautiful. Yeah. I just think the education and awareness that we have now around human trafficking, specifically sex trafficking, is pretty amazing. You know, the education that also law enforcement is required to take and is now taking, you know, now knowing how to screen for sex trafficking and CSEC as well, opposed to back then where, you know, if a, ch a child could be picked up for uh, prostitution and be charged for that. And nowadays it's like, special, specifically in California, where the, that no longer happens, that no longer is allowed or legal to do. So I think, you know, definitely I'm hoping that we'll continue to move forward, that we'll continue to spread awareness and education around sex trafficking and let people know in our community that this is happening, right? And we all need to be educated to really be able to identify those red flags and really know how to help and support someone who is a victim. Yeah, I think, Melissa, everything that you're saying, I think I'm going to go back and listen to this episode a few more times, especially that part about the hope, you know, that it's down that three or so million, yeah. you know, just remind ourselves of that and, and let, it, let that encourage us to keep doing the work and to keep moving forward in that same direction. Yeah, and just the belief your daughter's going to be a warrior, like she'll be awesome. She'll be totally prepared yeah. to, to tackle what life brings because we are, we, we all are able to. And I've seen it just the man, the courage of the women we work with, you know, I, I have really seen the, the testimony of it doesn't matter what life brings somebody there, the ability to overcome and the resilience and the grit of women is yeah. just incredible. I was going to say that resilience, it's really incredible. And I think we all kind of have that, that shared experience. We all work in, you know, some way with victims, with survivors, right. And sometimes the stories we hear, the experiences we know someone's been through for 
you know, maybe you or just an onlooker could be like, oh my, oh my God, you know, like how, how are you making it through? How did you make it through that? How are you moving forward? Right. And it's, it is, it's, it's, you know, on the other hand, it's, it's a really inspiring thing to see the amount of just absolute resiliency and grit, like you said. And so, yeah, love that, that, you know, we can kind of have that moment as well. Absolutely. Moving into our next question, we have, uh, who are the victims of sex trafficking and who is at risk? Yeah, the scary thing, we got to go back to scary stuff, huh? <laughs> so the, the, we take little breaks, yeah. but we have to go back. Yeah. We, cry, we laugh, we come back. Yeah. <laughs> One of the scary things is, um, if you have a social media account, you're at risk. Um, you're at risk of somebody accessing you, somebody you don't know. And, you know, if you ask kids if, if anybody's ever sent you a, a direct message or a private message on social media that you didn't know, they're going to say, yeah, happens all the time. Yeah. And for the most part, um, that's what we see as some of the, the main recruiting tactics now. You know, for, for parents, one of the, the main things I believe in is um, if your child's still your child, they don't have a right to privacy when it comes to their social media and their messaging. Uh, I, I think you absolutely should check those kinds of things because we see it used very often. I think um, being in the foster system is another risk that we've seen, unfortunately, you know, essentially anything that can be exploited by a trafficker is, is a vulnerability, is a risk, um, and is somebody at risk. So somebody with a history of abuse and neglect, um, we've seen it anywhere from adults who maybe never had the history of abuse and neglect, but they got caught up in an addiction, uh, how to fund that addiction. We've seen that exploited as a way to to convince somebody to do something they wouldn't have normally done had this not been a part of their their path, um, you, you know. So, so the desire to be loved, unfortunately, is is able to be exploited as well. And so, healthy desires, unhealthy desires, can be vulnerabilities. It doesn't mean I go around thinking everybody's going to be trafficked, but I think it is good still to know and have a, an awareness that it's not just that one sort of stereotyped person that you think of. Um, it, it's just unfortunately accessible. It's like saying who's, who's, um, at risk of having a thief come, you know, and steal something like, right. Yeah. If, anybody. Yeah. I, I've done work mm -hmm. in, uh, prisons in Susanville. Actually, I've, I've met with a lot of men in there that have been in there for many, many years and, and they're, they simplified it for me. They said, if, uh, if somebody's willing to buy it, I'm going to have it to sell. And so if, if we go to like a state that this is where it's okay to have it, then I'm going to be there to sell it. And so they're going to then look for, you know, how do we meet that demand? And so, you know, in particular, Nevada being a sex tourism state, they got to meet the demand that this is where men want to come to, to buy this. And so finding more and more individuals to keep up with the demand is what they're going to do. And so the, the best way for them to find the individual is to find something to exploit to then strategically get them into the, the sex trade, unfortunately. I once remember hearing this was, you know, our old executive director and she was extremely passionate about trafficking as well. She was um, on a local coalition called PATH, right, against, um, you know, trafficking of humans. And she, I remember her describing it and she said, you know, when it comes to trafficking, this is really the awful part because it's so lucrative. It's so lucrative because instead of a normal business where say I'm Starbucks and say you come in and I sell you this coffee. So 
I had to buy, right, the coffee, I had to buy the cup that it goes in to then sell it to you. So every transaction, I'm, I'm losing a little bit of money, right? And she said the awful thing about, you know, human trafficking is that, you know, what kind of um, seedy businessman, right, that's not aligning with morals or values, what seedy businessman kind of wouldn't take the opportunity to sell something that's constantly reusable, right? And at no detriment to them. And I remember, and, and when you really think about that, I mean, that is so dark, it is so insidious and kind of mind blowing, but that's honestly the truth of it, right? And that's something that's so important to keep in mind, you know, and I love that you especially bring up that demand piece, right? Um, because that's where we're, or those, you know, CD businessmen, these traffickers are going to bring in that supply. It's because of that demand and that normalcy. And yeah, so yeah. going with that, because, you know, it's important to kind of note that really anyone can be victimized. There's so many circumstances of how that could happen and how someone could, you know, be preyed on for whatever vulnerability, whatever insecurity. And so looking a little bit further, maybe you could share, because now our audience is kind of primed at really could happen to anybody, right? Especially someone with those vulnerabilities. But how about if someone um, maybe is trying to notice some signs, right? Maybe you, uh, someone out there listening right now has a friend and they've been acting a little bit strange. Would you be able to share what are some red flags of maybe someone that is being trafficked that someone else could perhaps recognize to report or provide support to that person? Yeah, so I think, you know, some of the things are definitely a change in behavior, change in friends, um, change, if it's a kid, change in grades, they would have to have time where they, they aren't accountable, they're not with somebody that they said they were with. Um, and sometimes it's sneaking out at night. So getting reports of, you know, your, your, your daughter's falling asleep in class every day this week, is, is something happening? Is she not getting sleep at night? And, you know, just completely unaware, because we have seen where they sneak out at night and then come back, they're still living at home with their family. And they're completely unaware that this is happening. And so, you know, there's these, you know, fairly normal age, like development behaviors of sneaking out. Like I, I don't, I did when I was a kid and I wasn't trafficked. Like these are some things that don't have to sure. say, this means you're trafficked. But when it's, you know, maybe there's markings on their body and it goes with the change of the grades and it goes with the change of friends, um, the change in attitude, the secrecy, the privacy, the you don't understand me, that's a little bit beyond what normal age development is, because I know that's also preteen and teen, some of those things. So, you right. know, seeing it more excessive than what is normal development. Those are things that you're going to indicate, whether it's trafficking or not, it's something and it, and it warrants you know, stepping in and, and loving well in that time uh, and meeting yeah. the kids where they're at and wrapping them up and spending more time paying attention to them, having the eye contact, letting them have attachment, you know, making sure attachment is secure. Uh, those are the types of things that that's just, you know, essentially just family, being family in that situation. Um, so that's some of the some stuff you want to do just to kind of keep it and prevent it from happening. But if it is, those are some of the indicators you might see. Uh, if they start getting their nails done, starting doing makeup differently, um, different clothes, they suddenly have a new iPhone or a new purse, um, different shoes. So different things are showing up that can't be explained. That might also be an indication. Um, if there's any kind of a, you know, you're not too sure about sexual activity, if there's a, an STI, things like that. Those are all things that you're going to want to have conversation around. And, and I know it's really hard, especially when you're family and especially if you're a parent, but to try to do so in a way that does encourage them to have the conversation versus shuts it down. 
um, because of the fear and the judgment, because they will sense that and it will push them away, unfortunately. We'll do the exact opposite of, of what you're hoping for. Absolutely. Thank you, Melissa, for sharing that. And I just want to highlight as well that, you know, victims of sex trafficking do not always self-identify as a victim of a crime or sex trafficking, right? They don't always ask for immediate help. So it's not like they will come to their, let's pretend this is a child, a minor, they will not just go to their parent and say, mom, dad, I'm being sex trafficked, right? It's not something that they may not identify as or for many other reasons, such as shame or self-blame, or maybe there's distress in law enforcement or authority, um, also fear or you know fear of arrest or deportation or incarceration if they're an adult, um, you know, or the victim may not realize that they are being trafficked, which is something that does happen, right? Or they may think that their trafficker is actually you know their boyfriend or girlfriend, right? Um, and so it's so important to highlight that you know it's really important as a just caring community member and just as a person to just really get familiar with those red flags and those warning signs um, so that we're able to be there for that person and support that person. Yeah, I love that you mentioned too that. And I think it's I think it's common, right? That usually most traffickers, they kind of do, they present themselves almost as that romantic figure, right? That kind of boyfriend type, that girlfriend type, you know, and sometimes it's kind of like, especially the circumstance, right? We're looking at it's possibly someone vulnerable, they're maybe going through something, maybe homeless, maybe foster youth, maybe runaway, whatever it is, right? So maybe they kind of present themselves almost as like this knight in shining armor, right? So of course those bonds of love and trust are, they're gonna be built pretty quickly with this person, yeah? And so maybe by the time they're asking you to do some pretty wild stuff that you would not normally do, um, the, the trust is there, the rapport is there, this person may have been helping them, right? So yeah, so many factors. And I love that you brought that one up, but Melissa, we would love to hear from you some other besides maybe that kind of boyfriend aspect. What are some tactics that traffickers could kind of use to, to prey upon that vulnerability? Yeah, you know, the boyfriend one is actually the most common. Um, and, and then sometimes for the online ones, we've seen where, you know, they think it's somebody that sort of catfish scenario where they think they're talking to somebody and then they've gone to meet that person and it's somebody else um, and it's not what they expected. And so it's a story that was unexpected. Um, and, uh, and a lot of times, you know, through the romance, that connection, it's, hey, you know, why don't you bring your friends to this party as well? So there's sort of recruiting also happening unknowingly to, to the individual, which is, which is just terrifying and dangerous. But, you know, there's a lot of people that have gotten their friends wrapped up in this completely innocently, not meaning to cause harm to their friends or put them in danger um, because of the social aspect to how, you know, in the, the stages of development, that peer piece is so strong growing up. They, they meet this developmental normalcy and exploit it. And so the social piece, um, the romance piece, there's the occasional kidnapping, but I will tell you that's, it's rare. It's not what we normally see the, the movie taken, um, is is sort of a un, unfortunate in the trafficking world because it's I think people assume that's it it's this sort right. of a, that's what it looks like and and more often than not that's not the experience of the survivors we work with there was romance involved and then there's the familial trafficking as well that we see where you know the uh, she's raised in a family that mom or dad unfortunately is also raised as being trafficked themselves and turned out themselves and so then the, that next generation gets raised in the same thing um, so i've seen unfortunate situations where you know a, a, a dad would have poker games with his buddies um, 
and they would be betting on the daughter and, and who gets to, to do what they want with her. Brie, I'm really sorry. I know I'm just bringing this up and it's not going to be good. Um, and then in other scenarios. Did you hear me take a deep yeah, breath just then? <laughs> I, was, I was gauging as whether or not to say it. But, and, and, and I don't mean to say that that's the normal. It's not. But it is worth noting the familial piece. Because um, I don't know that how often that actually gets addressed. Uh, and then I've seen scenarios where, you know, one survivors talked about their mom was in the life. And um, at a young age, she was essentially sold out to her drug dealer who then trafficked her as well um, to kind of fix get the fix for, for addictions. Addictions will, will turn a person into somebody they would never ever become prior right. to that and without that. And so those are some of the unfortunate consequences that can, can come from those things. So yeah, the, the familiar- Yeah, don't feel like you have to- Yeah. Oh, sorry, I was just gonna say, don't feel like you have to hold back just because yeah. <laughs> of my reactions over here, you know? Yeah, it was, it was more we of a We definitely need to get this out. Yeah, it was a pause and then noticing it and wanted to have a consideration to, to it. But uh, yeah, <laughs> we'll, we'll still get it out there. But yeah, I think the, the romance is the number one that we see. Um, and then you've got some outliers, the, you know, the gorilla, which is just force aggression. Um, the traffic or the, the kidnapper and then the familial, uh, I think that's more the, the common ones we get. Yeah. And it's just so, again, it's so important. I think that's a large, again, a large part of this misconception, right? People watch movies like Taken, they see media representations or stories of trafficking occurrences. So if they see something close to home, first off, they may think like, nope, not trafficking because that's here, right? Doesn't happen here first roadblock. Second roadblock could be, well, I mean, they're not being like handcuffed to a bed or, you know, kind of given drugs or any of those really, I mean, really intense kind of kidnapping, um, taken-esque trafficking situations or scenarios we've seen, right? So maybe, yeah, there is love. There was a relationship and now it's, it's really spiraled something it, so unhealthy and dangerous, but people around them may say, well, it's here. Um, I don't see her being chained up anywhere. Right. So mm -hmm. yeah, in a large part of the time, it looks like she's going along with that. Right. When there could be so much again, fear, threats, coercion, manipulation that really underpins that. But I think that's what gets in someone's way mm -hmm. from seeing it and, and actually recognizing it for what it is. And so so appreciative um, for you to really break some of that down, really talk about, you know, the different kinds of tactics. I think it's so important, especially, you know, kind of like Brie right now, kind of, and the best part is, is Brie, we, we all work in this field. So these are things she's heard, but I think right now at this state, it's mm -hmm. even more overwhelming. Right. But I think, especially for parents, you know, this is to, to realize and kind of understand that this is happening on social media, that this is such a big aspect of it. I mean, all these, these little pieces as dark, again, as difficult as they could be to hear and process so vitally important right for understanding it for navigating you know you yourself other people kind of away from this being a possibility in their lives and so super appreciative for kind of all you shared with us today we're going to take obviously more time we will do further episodes we would love it maybe you can come back sometime soon because mm -hmm. you've just been an absolute joy to hang out <laughs> with today and talk to um but yeah we're going to dive into this you know definitely a lot deeper but today i think this was a great start to kind of get people acclimated a little bit right with really kind of just taking that cover off and just you know mm -hmm. really looking at this for what it is not taken not the stories mm -hmm. that we're hearing in the news. And so Bree, why don't you go ahead? Cause you know, maybe there's some people out there listening. Maybe they do need some additional support, right? After hearing this episode, maybe you have further questions. Maybe you have stuff that I need to have answered now. I can't wait for your next episode on this. 
So Bree, would you mind sharing out our, our info? So if anyone wants to get in touch with us. Yeah, and just a note on that, we know that tactics used by recruiters and traffickers and their associates are often the same tactics used by batterers and they can mirror dynamics of domestic violence. So if you or someone you know is experiencing any of these things, uh, there is help. We have our crisis line, which is 24-7, and it is confidential assistance. That is 530-544-4444. So you just get that 530, the first five, the rest is fours. And then Melissa, is there contact information for Awaken that you'd want to share? Uh, 775-393-9183. If you need to just make a phone call, we also have our website, awakenreno.org. Uh, and on there is a way you can even just fill out a, a real simple form if you just want us to contact you back and let us know a safe way to contact you back. Um, and then you can always email us info at awakenreno.org as well. And then we have a drop-in center. If you guys just want to drop by 12 to 5, most days we're here. Um, actually, every day we're here. Drop-ins open, limited hours. But if you just come any day, Monday through Friday, 12 to 5, we're going to find a way to meet your needs. Awesome. Thank you so much. We'll link everything below, too. That way, if our listeners were like, oh, my gosh, like what was the number? What hours are there? We're going to put everything. If you're watching this on YouTube, all of it will be down in our little description. So don't worry if you, you. didn't hear the number. <laughs> yeah, we got you. Got mm -hmm. you, boo-boo. Um, but really quickly, Melissa, I want to ask you, maybe if someone is out in the community, let's say someone's out at a restaurant, um, wherever they could, I mean, right now it's kind of weird to think about people being out together, but let's say someone is out in public safely, um, and maybe they see a situation that is just kind of ringing some of those little alarm bells we heard about today. Maybe it's like a weird dynamic. We see someone younger with like an older boyfriend or girlfriend, and it kind of just seems a little out of place. Maybe this younger person is maybe dressed up, right? Maybe this young girl does have like a short skirt on, like lots of makeup, the Michael Kors bag, when it looks like, how did you work enough to afford that Michael Kors? You're only about in 10th grade, right? If someone sees these warning signs, do you suggest that someone just calls in that, that number that you gave us? I mean, should people be like worried, like, oh, I don't know if it's really trafficking, maybe not call, or would you guys just rather someone calls? I would actually rather they call law enforcement because we wouldn't be able to do anything in a situation like that. So, so we don't do vigilante work and <laughs> we don't recommend anybody does, but they're but, down here at the Seven Eleven. Yeah, right? it's, it's surprising. We get, we do get some calls where they want to go and intervene right then. And, and what they don't realize is the additional harm that that could impose on the individual. Right. Mm -hmm. And so even if she's not, you don't physically see her with the person, he could still be watching the situation. And so it, it, you know, the best intentions can still cause harm. And so, you know, there's the concept of when helping hurts. And so just being mindful of that. Uh, and so I would say call the authorities of what you see and they will be far more effective than, than what we would be able to, to do and have the liberty to do in that situation. Absolutely. And I think it's important to highlight to just make sure that you document, you know, some of the small details, never physically intervene. Because like Melissa mentioned, you know, you could actually, um, that victim could get hurt more because of that, or your safety can be at risk as well. So definitely make sure you call your local law enforcement to make a report. Um, with that being said, Melissa, is there anything you would like to specifically highlight? Huh. So much. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'd love to come back. I mean, this is a good conversation. Yes. Um, you know, I, I still think as heavy as this gets, I, 
I think it's important to not leave people feeling hopeless or helpless. And a lot of times, you know, I, I hear from people beyond this, what we do, that that's how people can experience this kind of information. And, and you know, I think it's, it's as simple as I once heard about this information and it changed my life. And so it can be empowering to hear these things and to never doubt the potential of yourself. So, so what you are as a human are capable of, it, does, it doesn't matter if you're a stay-at-home mom, it doesn't matter if you are working 80 hours a week, there is a sphere of influence that you have access to that can bring change. That's the whole reason we have city transformation as one of our pillars. We have no interest in being an organization that you're gonna outsource the solution to. Like you as a community, anybody watching this, Awaken's not the answer, the whole community is. That's why we want, one of the things we started to do when we first got into this is we thought, okay, what is anybody doing? It's a safe house. So I guess we have to do a safe house and that's how you answer this problem. It's not, it's, it's important, but it is not the answer. It is a component of healing. So what we've revamped was a safe city. We don't just want one house that's safe. We want a whole city that's safe. And so we want people to come here and be like, yeah, this is safe for women. This is safe for children. And that's where everybody gets to be a part of being, making this a safe community. City transformation is, is what people can do. You can use it in whatever sphere of influence you have, and you know better than anybody else your capacity for bringing change. So I absolutely want to leave people feeling empowered, not helpless, not hopeless around this issue, because we are seeing it happen and it works. And as a result, survivors are now realizing they're important to this community. They see when people show up to events, they see when people yes. bring awareness. And when they once felt completely overlooked and unseen and unheard, they are now experience their value that people care. And so it matters. You showing up absolutely matters and it is seen by them. Yeah. And in a way that, you know, they're represented and in a way that really reflects who they are, right? Or their actual experience and what they're actually going through. I love that. And yeah, that's kind of what we're always hoping for with these, right? We always kind of educate our listeners and we always take time because we don't want to be like, look out for this and see you later, right? We're always trying to, <laughs> you know, empower and what can we do and, and how do we step in? And, you know, so I'm really happy that we kind of, especially spent that time at the end, right? Kind of really looking into what we could do, right? Boots on the ground in a situation, right? What What's a way that we can kind of go about that? But again, We'll continually talk about this. Um, there's so much more to unpack with this issue. Um, until that, again, call us, call Melissa, right? Fill out that form online. Um, they can contact you whenever it's convenient for you, but reach out. Having this conversation, like she said, this is this is the way to promote change, right? This is the way to you know, have survivors know that they are represented, they are included, they are understood. And in the same time um, that we, aren't normalizing this in the way where this is okay in our community, right? That we actually are normalizing it and we understand this is an issue and we won't allow this to happen. So that being said, it was a good first start today, but we, of course, after diving into all that heavy stuff, as usual, we're going to take time. We're going to decompress a little bit. So Melissa, this is your first time with us. We always do a guided meditation at the end of our podcasts. Have you ever meditated before? Yeah, I've done guided meditations as well. Love it. So you can sit back and relax. I'll talk you through it. So for our listeners out there that are able to take on this meditation at this time, for my amazing guest and co-hosts, just find yourself into a comfortable seated position, somewhere where you can fully relax. And I want you to take one of those big kind of cleansing sigh breaths I just did, one of those 
let it out. And I want you to take a nice deep breath in through your nose, out through your mouth. Ground your feet onto the floor. Breathe in and out. Take a deep breath in. Gently close your eyes and exhale. Continue this breathing. Maybe make your inhales the same length as your exhales. Every exhale, let your body sink a little heavier into your seat. As you continue with this breathing, just continually relax. If you feel any stress or tension in your body, send your breath to that space to help relax. For the next few moments, the only thing that's important is breathing in and breathing out. On your next inhale, breathe in some positive energy. Exhale any stress. Take a deep breath in, breathe in some kind words for yourself. Exhale negative self-talk. Breathe in, give yourself some encouragement. Exhale anything you have to let go of. One last big breath in, set an intention for the day. Hold it. Exhale, release that intention. One last big breath in and out. And you can go back to your normal breathing. Start to wiggle fingers and toes, roll wrists and ankles, start to shift in your seats, bring your attention back into your body, back into the room. If you haven't yet, you can gently float your eyes back open into the room, make any adjustment you need. Thank you, Lisa, for that lovely meditation that was much needed. You're amazing. So welcome. Thank you, Melissa, for breathing along with us, too. Yes. Yeah, thanks thank for you, having Melissa. me. Yeah, thank you for being here and having this amazing, important conversation with us and making our listeners aware of what sex trafficking is. For more information on human trafficking or sex trafficking, please visit www.humantraffickinghotline.org. 
We hope you will all join us again. Thank you for being part of this one conversation.